You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to talk about eternal life, the concept that, that is at the end of the Christian story. If you were going to share the gospel with someone and, and to try to evangelize someone, at some point you will reach the point of needing to talk about eternity. And we struggle with eternity. I know this because um, I go to funerals sometimes and we have a, a very confused understanding of what eternity is, right? Some, for some people, eternity is um, this like ethereal, there's clouds and harps, right? Uh, like you would see in a cartoon, right? You kind of got that picture in your mind of heaven. For some people, um, you become an angel. That, that concept, right? When someone dies, you're like, well, I guess heaven needed another angel. Um, I just want to, real quick here, heaven doesn't need any more angels. Um, and if it did, God would not choose to, 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 to side grade you over to an angel, okay? You were not created to be an angel. Um, you, will, you will never be an angel. Your mother may have been a wonderful woman of faith. She is not an angel. She is something different. She is a person, a saint of God, right? And so, so that's a different class. Uh, it, it would be like asking your dog to become a cat. When it dies, it just isn't the sort of thing that happens, right? That's not the way life goes, okay? It's not an upgrade, honestly, uh, to be upgraded up to an angel. It's, it's just a different entity altogether. So, so you're, you, but some people have that picture in their head. I see it sometimes when uh, people are dealing with grief and loss. I try not to tell people when they're dealing with grief and loss, no, your mother isn't an angel because that, that feels harsh to say to them. Um, but, but it's true. Uh, your mother doesn't become one. Your grandma didn't become one. You, one day, when, when you pass away, will not become an angel because you are made for something different. God created you specifically to be a person. He doesn't want you to be something else. But we have this picture of, of maybe we become an angel. Maybe we get some wings, right? Maybe things are going to change. Uh, the Bible's picture of eternity is, is, is a little bit different. If you really read through Scripture, uh, you have this picture of this new heaven and new earth. And we don't, we don't have a timeline necessarily of exactly how everything works. But, but the end story for us, eternal life for us, is life in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right, Life in the presence of God uh, in this new earth creation that God has made for His saints. You go back to Genesis chapter 1, it gives you a picture of the sort of world that we will be inhabiting. It will be uh, different, uh, but similar to what you see in the garden, because when God made the garden, it was good. Uh, and when we go back to the garden, Revelations 21 and 22, um, it's also good. So I want you to know when we talk about eternal life, uh, we're talking about real life, not some sort of um, totally different existence or something. It's, it's real uh, it's actually realer than this temporary life that, we, that we've been granted here on earth. It's a different class, though. So Jesus is doing Jesus' things in John chapter 2. And we get to John chapter 3, uh, and someone wants to come and talk to Jesus. And John uses these dialogues to move his story along. And so let's read about the dialogue in John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or, for, or to where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, so Nicodemus is this religious leader. Um, and I use the word leader uh, to mean leader. He is in charge uh, of, or he is a part of the Jewish ruling council of the day. That was the Sanhedrin. They will be, figure very prominently in the execution of Jesus later in the story. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. He was an important religious figure. He was a Pharisee. That means he was a, a student of the law. He had done all of his uh, postdoctoral studies in religious studies. He knew everything that one should know about what the Bible uh, at that time, the Old Testament, and then the writings said was to be, how to achieve a holy and righteous life. And he would have followed it very, very um, ritualistically. He would have taken every step he could to make sure that he was pure and clean and holy so that he could move forward uh, down the path of righteousness before him. And he comes to Jesus Christ, uh, and he comes as kind of like a person asking questions to this new religious teacher. And Jesus just turned water into wine. He's done some other uh, miracles, which we don't have detailed in John chapter 2. And Nicodemus shows up to him at night, and he says, Hey, we know you come from God, because people can't do the sort of things that you're doing unless God has sent them. Right? And so basically, he's coming to Jesus like, Hey, talk to me a little bit about where you're from and what it is that you're supposed to be doing. I know you come from God. Right? So, so Jesus doesn't want to talk about that. And so he says, let's talk about what I want to talk about. This is always great about Jesus, by the way. People come to Jesus with their opinions, right? They come to Jesus with their approach. And Jesus constantly is like, yeah, let's talk about what matters. Right? We're not going to waste our time talking about uh, the signs that I've done and the power behind the signs that I've done. Like, that could be an interesting discussion for another day. But right now, I have something I want to talk to you about, Nicodemus. And that is being born again right and so he uses the phrase born again and this is a new term for us it's an old term right we have that that phrase i'm a born again christian it's deeply embedded inside of our culture in the south specifically uh, it's a huge part of it if you were to walk up to someone say hey are you born again they'd be like yes or no they would know what you're talking about but when jesus tells this grown man who's a religious leader who knows all the religious things of the day you must be born again Jesus is making something new in that moment, right? And Nicodemus' mind can't handle it. Have you ever been introduced to a topic that you were not ready to handle? I remember I walked into, a, it was my Christianity class at HBU. Um, and I walked into a old, oh, I guess it was New Testament uh, survey at HBU. And I had been in church my whole life. And I knew the Bible stories. And so I thought this is going to be a pretty easy class because, like, I know the Bible. And I walk in there, and all of a sudden, they start telling me that everything that I've known about the Bible, uh, some people in Germany have worked hard to say that none of it happened the way I thought it did. 
And so like what I was able to read in my Bible became very suspect. And then in fact, that the very construction of my Bible wasn't the way that it was told to me in my Sunday school class, which is like Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, Mark wrote the book of Mark, and some, some doctor named Luke wrote Luke, and John wrote John. No, they have a whole other hypothesis, and they have a, a, a Q out there, some Q document. I just want to, I don't know how Q became uh, a thing now, um, but I, I don't care much for it now, and I didn't care much for it when I learned about it in HBU. Uh, right? It seems like a letter. We should find a new letter for random things out there, okay? But, but Q, this random document that somehow links all of the Gospels together that they were all drawing from source material. And I remember, I wasn't ready to hear this, right? And they start telling me this, and it overloaded my brain, right? And then I went to Old Testament, and they told me that everything I knew about the first five books of the Bible was wrong. Right? There was actually four different authors, at least, that wrote it, and it was pieced together, and it was written somewhere you know, after Josiah was king, and it was very difficult for my brain to grab onto what was being taught to me, mostly because what they were, what they were instructing me was garbage, just so you know. Right? Most of the reason I struggled with it is because it was garbage, it's not, but I needed to know it. I still actually need to know that stuff so that I can communicate inside of like, that level of Christian thought. But, like, I wasn't ready. And so, like, I, I just, I was spinning. Like, my mind was going 100 miles an hour. I remember I would go, uh, and I was working at a church at the time. And so I'd go back to the church that I was working at, and I would meet with, with, with people and be like, what's this thing about the JEDP? And they'd be like, oh, man, yeah. And they would start talking to me about, you know, textual criticism and source criticism and the whole background of critical theory about approaching the Bible. And I tell you all this note, if you're not ready for a topic... It is tough to catch up with it, right? And so it took me about two years at HBU of just kind of passing tests and moving along before my feet were underneath me again, where I was like, okay, I can talk and understand this stuff over here, and I can practice my faith and understand how faith actually works over here, and I can live in both of these worlds at the same time. It was so difficult for me. And maybe you've been in a situation like that where someone introduced a topic to you, you, you were not ready. But that's what happened to Nicodemus. Nicodemus wasn't ready for the topic that was given to him at that moment. And so he's spinning. Jesus is like, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, well, I'm a grown man. And if I curl up really tight into a ball, I, I don't think I fit. Right? Like, I, don't, I, I know where babies come from, and I don't think I can get there again. I don't think my mom will enjoy that process anyways. Right? But like, it seems like that's impossible. So Jesus, you're talking gibberish. Because you can't just be born twice. You get born, and there you are. And once you come out, you don't go back in. You don't get born again. And Nicodemus, his mind wasn't ready for what Jesus was saying, which is like your natural birth. That first time that we're born, my birthday was April 8th, 1982. What a wonderful day that was, April 8th, 1982. The sun must have been shining it's a glorious day, I'm sure, in Burleson, Texas, where I was born, uh, just, just south of Fort Worth. Right? It must have been a wonderful day, uh, the arrival of the, uh, of the Matt child on that day, right? right? But, but on that day when I emerged, uh, that was the beginning of my, of my life. But there came another day, 15 years later, where I was born anew, where my spirit was born <laughs> again. Where, where what I used to be became not who I am today. 
And Jesus is trying to explain the fact that what, what, you, you are born, but just being born into laws and ritual in the world around you is not enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough to have eternal life just to be born, and even to be born into a religious family. Because Nicodemus was a religious man. He was a superior religious person. And Jesus said, what you have right now is insufficient to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Your ritualistic obedience, your attendance at the synagogue, your teachings, your studying, the fact that you sit with the other religious elites in a council uh, judging religious matters inside of the, the, the church and inside of Jerusalem, it doesn't matter. None of it matters unless you're born again. I know a lot of people who come to church and they're, they're, they were born into the church. Right, I was born into the church. I went to Mother's Day out when I was two, and I was in church every time the doors were open unless something crazy was going on in my world. Right, we would go out of town, and I would be in a church on vacation. Right, I, I grew up in the church. I was born into the church, but that birth is not enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Parents, it's wonderful if you have your children in church. It's a great thing. It is a blessing to your children to get them into the church, right? But, but attendance in the church does not make them born again, but it at least exposes them to the truth of the gospel. It took 15 years for me, right? it took 15 years of work for the Holy Spirit to break down the pride and, and, and the self-whatever issues that I have for me to humble myself and to receive salvation. Thankful for my parents, right, that they would put me in that situation to have driven that me to where I had the opportunity to respond to salvation 15 years later. But coming to church doesn't make you that. Attending church doesn't, doesn't make you born again. In fact, you have to be born anew of the Spirit to have eternal life. And so Nicodemus is still confused, and, uh, and he says in verse 9, he says, uh, Well, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you, yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus can't understand what Jesus is talking about, even as Jesus talks about, no, you have to be born of water and the Spirit. You have to be born twice. You have a, a spiritual birth that, that, that comes after your physical birth. He, he can't fathom what Jesus is saying. He still can't track it. He's like, how can this be? And Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel, which is a fairly unique title, which means Nicodemus was like the religious established leader. He was the person people would go to for instruction. He was an important teacher of Israel. He says, you can't understand this because you, your mind can't even understand earthly things that I'm trying to teach you about how God's kingdom works. Like you can't fathom the earthly things right now. How, how much less so can you fathom the heavenly things? And then Jesus gives him a picture of what he needs to know. And he draws him back to the Old Testament. There's a story in the Old Testament 
where, where the nation of Israel, it's during the Exodus, they're out wandering in the wilderness, because that's what they did for 40 years. And they're out wandering in the wilderness, and they've acted like idiots, because that's what they do temporarily, every once in a while, while they're in the wilderness. And they've chosen to act like idiots. They've rebelled against God. They've rebelled against Moses. They've rebelled against the leadership that God has established. And so God sends snakes to attack the nation of Israel. That sounds bad. Right? I don't, I'm not a snake person. Some people are snake people. You know these people? I call them crazy. Right? Like You're like, oh, here's my pet python. And I'm like, why would you do that to yourself? Right? But I'm not a snake person. If there's a snake in the parsonage yard... I try to kill it, right? Uh, I have three cats, and their whole purpose in my life, the only reason these cats are allowed to live in my world is to murder things that crawl on the ground. That's all I want them to do, right? Feed them a little bit to keep them alive, but, like, you got to hunt to live, right? And so, like, birds, they don't do so great in my yard. But really, they're there for the snake control. I don't like them. And the nation of Israel had rebelled, and God sent snakes. And that means that it wasn't just like two or three snakes like you might see in your yard. You're like, oh my gosh, there's a snake. No, it's like snake. Like snakes on a plane, but snakes on the plane where they were living. Like just, and, they, and they were tired of those snakes. I'll tell you what, yeah. And the snakes were coming, and when you would get bit by the snake, you would die. That's the end, end game of this snake. I don't know what type of snake it was. It would hurt, and it would kill you. And Moses goes to God in the middle of this plague of snakes and says, hey God, can we calm it down with the snake bites? Got a lot of people dying. I think they got the point. I think they understand not to, not to transgress anymore. I think they've got it. So can we stop with the snake bites? And God says, here's what I want you to do. Go make a, a, a snake of bronze and lift it up on a pole. So he's going to make a snake and lift it up on a pole. It's actually the symbol for our medical doctors. You'll see the snake wrapped around the pole. Um, make a snake of bronze. Lift it up on a pole. Lift it high. And it says anyone who gets bit by a snake but looks on the bronze snake that you make, they, they'll live. If you look on that, you'll live. And Jesus draws Nicodemus back to this story. And he says, look. You want to be born again. You must be born again to enter into uh, eternal life. And Nicodemus says, I can't understand it. What, what does this have to do? And Jesus says, do you remember the story about how Moses made the serpent? He raised it up. And if the nation of Israel would look on it, then they would not die, but they would have life. Jesus says, that's me. You look on the Son of Man who came from heaven. He, he descended from heaven. He's going to ascend again to heaven. And if you'll look on him you will live guys there's not life in other places there's not eternal life in other places the only place where there's life to be had is in the face of jesus christ and so we need to fix our eyes on jesus christ i don't know if there's better wisdom for the church to get than this is to set our gaze intently on jesus christ we get so distracted, right? We do. Like, salvation is found only in Jesus Christ, but really, life today in this world, purpose and meaning in this life today is only found by fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. Right? There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. And so if you, would, if you would begin to train yourself when the world is trying to distract you with shiny objects to fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, right? If you can do that, you will, you will feel so much peace in this world. 
Uh, because the fact that there's new presidents coming and old presidents going, the fact that James Harden got traded to the Nets for like a bunch of draft picks for some reason, right? The, the, the fact that the, uh, that the Houston Texans quarterback wants to leave for, for who knows what, the fact that the weather is crazy, the fact that the, the cows aren't growing and the, uh, and the crops aren't growing, the fact that that the world is tough, the fact that no one is coming through with their promises, all of that stuff fades when your focus is on Jesus Christ. If you look to Jesus Christ, there is life there. And we, we should not be distracted by other things. Right? And there are other things. I remember my, uh, my physics class, one of my favorite things. I was in physics, Stephen F. Austin High School, Fort Bend County, Sugarland area of Texas. I was sitting in my physics class, and we were in a big lab. I don't know why, because we didn't do a lot of lab work in my physics class. Um, but in the back of the room, it was a gigantic room. In the back of the room was all the lab tables with all the stuff. You could set up Bunsen burners and everything else you could do, more for chemistry than physics. Um, but I was sitting in there, and I was a junior in high school, uh, and I was at the, the wall. So the wall was right beside me, and uh, I'm watching my teacher up there talk about gravity or momentum or physics, whatever physics is, I don't know. Um, I didn't learn much in physics, just to be fully honest with you, okay? Um, but with where I sat, immediately to my left was a bright red button. A bright red button. And on the bright red button, it said, emergency, do not push. And that is why I learned nothing in physics. Because there's a button, I mean, like right here, I could touch it, I did touch it. Um, there's a button right beside me, bright red button, emergency, do not push. By the way, those two things don't fit together. And if it's an emergency, then you should push it. And if I can't push it, then what do I do in a case of an emergency? I, I didn't understand the, what it was trying to instruct me on. And so for like six weeks, I sat in physics and they talked about gravity. That's the only thing I know fits in physics, by the way, right? Gravity. 9.8 meters per second squared. That's literally all I learned in physics. That's the, the speed of gravity, roughly. My brother went to Texas Tech University. Hey, if you're watching. Um, he went to Texas Tech University. He took physics for not physics people. And the physics teacher, who's like a genius, right, because he's a physics teacher, he's like, none of you guys are ever going to use this. You're just taking this for a science credit. They're like, yeah. He's like, okay, it's 10. Like, I had to do 9.8 with, like, a decimal. He's like, it's 10. Just use 10. It's much easier math to do 10 meters per second squared. But I was sitting by this bright red button. That's, that's a fun fact there. But bright red button, do not push. I couldn't learn anything. Because the teacher, I was supposed to be focused on that, whatever that was, gravity. But there's this button over here. So one day, after about six or seven weeks, I reach over and I push the button. And you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing happens. Not one thing. No lights turned off. Nothing happens. It took me like six or seven weeks to get the courage to push the button not to push. I go home that day. I turn on the news. Because I'm 17. I'm worldly. I figure out what's going on. Six o'clock news. World news. The United States of America bombed Pakistan. Was it me? <laughs> Was it me? That's what I thought. I was like, did I just bomb Pakistan? Was this like the, the bomb code for, for bombing Pakistan? Was this button in my high school in Sugarland, Texas? The answer is no, by the way. 17-year-old Matt wasn't 100% sure of that, though. 16, 17-year-old Matt was a little confused by this, this matter. What that button actually does, by the way, 
is if a child is being electrocuted at those tables, it shuts off the power to all the tables behind there. So if there was a chemistry class afterwards, they probably were a little confused for why they couldn't get power. Um, but the point is, if there's something distracting you, it's tough to focus. It's tough in here, right? I, I remember when we did church at home. Uh, some of you are still doing that. Uh, but when, when I had to do church at home, and I would have uh, on my TV, we would watch on YouTube, and we'd have it on the TV in the living room, we'd all be gathered together. Oh my goodness, that's hard. It's hard, right, to stare at a TV when you have everything else around you, right? Everything that's calling for you. There's, there's bacon in the kitchen. That's a good Sunday. Right? There's everything. It's hard to be focused. And Jesus knows it. But there's life found when you fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. There's life here now, meaning, purpose in this life that we live now. But, but more importantly, eternal life is only found through, through fixing your gaze on Jesus Christ. Putting your faith fully in Jesus Christ. Does it make sense that looking at a bronze snake will heal you from a snake bite? The answer is no. If you get bit by a snake today, do not stare at a bronze snake. That is not medicine. It will not fix your problem. But by faith, the Israelites listened to what God said, and because they believed what God said would come true, they fixed their eyes on that snake and they lived. And by faith, it's the same thing. Does it make sense that God would come to earth to die for the sins of us, that he would care about us enough to make propitiation, to pay for our penalty for sin. Does that make sense? Well, well, it's kind of tough to make sense of that, but God says if you'll fix your eyes on him, on Jesus Christ, you'll live. And you know what? It's true. Life is found there. There's only life found in Jesus Christ. So look to Jesus for life. Continuing on verse 16. Uh, Verse, yeah, this is a verse you probably know, John 3, 16. You may have heard this before. I don't know. If not, I'm going to blow your mind. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he didn't believe in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, but, and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever uh, does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. All right, so it starts out, Jesus says, you must be born again. And he says, look to me for life. And then he kind of simplifies. He says, look, if you want to have life, you need to come to me by faith. This is the beauty of the Christian religion, by the way, is that it, you come into this, this, this life that we found in Jesus Christ solely by faith. Right? Whosoever would believe in Jesus will have eternal life. That, that is the act that you must do. You must believe in Jesus. It's not about what you do. It's not about how good you can be. Your church attendance, while I appreciate it, does not get you closer to heaven. Hopefully you get sanctified as you come through here. Really, honestly, that's why we do it. 
but you don't get a, a gold star. You don't move closer to the front of the line on entrance into the velvet ropes of heaven where your angel wings will be assigned to you. Right? You don't, you don't move up that path through some sort of ritualistic obedience. You come by faith and by faith alone. You don't bring anything else except the broken pieces of your life. Here I am. This is all I am. I trust you, Jesus Christ. And if you would come to Jesus by faith, God promises that you will have life eternally. And this eternal life is better than the eternal life that you picture. Right? It, it, it's, it, it's better than anything that you can imagine. I talked about this when I talked about it. There's not going to be any marriage in heaven. And there's nothing that brings me more joy in my life than my marriage. Right? Or pain, to be fair. Right? Cuts, that, that, that knife cuts both ways. Right? But nothing brings me more joy in my life uh, than the wife that God has entrusted to be my spouse. It's the highest, uh, greatest part of my life. And then God says, even that, that, it's not good enough for heaven. And that's tough for my mind to fathom. That the best thing here, the best moments here, God says, not good enough in eternity with me. It's not good enough. It's not that you won't have a, a special connection with people that you knew here on earth. I think you might. I think you may, you may, you may know, you may, whatever. Like there, I think there's a knowledge that comes there. Like God's like, you don't need marriage there because there's something better there. That's tough. My mind struggles with that. That heaven is so good that the best thing's here. Right? The best steak dinner is not, like God's like, no, that's not good enough. Right? You know, you know what's not in heaven? Just fun, fair for you. Kale, it's not there. It didn't make the cut. Right? It's, I'm not sure it should make the cut here, to be fair. Right? The, 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 but the best thing's here. God's like, no, that's not good enough. I got something better for you. You were made for something better. Your life eternally is going to be, be, be unimaginably better. And you can enter into that by faith today. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe, you, maybe you're young and you've been in church since you were two and you're 12 today and you're like, I've never trusted Jesus Christ. I want you to know today is a day of salvation. God is still in the business of inviting people to look on Jesus for life. And that means to forsake everything else and to set your gaze on Jesus Christ. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ. And if you want to do that today, we're going to have an invitation in just a minute. You can come and you can talk to me, and I'd love to explain to you about how Jesus died for your sins so that you could be called righteous, so you could live eternally with God in heaven, in eternity as God has created it for you. So if you need to believe in Jesus today, it's a good day to do it. What a wonderful, wonderful day to begin your walk with Jesus Christ, to look on Jesus and live and to come to Jesus by faith. If you're already a believer here today, I want to encourage you to do two things. The first thing is this, to continue to fix your eyes on Jesus. I think if our church would fix our eyes uniformly on Jesus, we will all end up going the same direction. Right? We may be coming from 17 different perspectives, but if we're following after Jesus, we're going to be moving in the same way. The church will experience unity if we have a focus that leads us in the same place. 
So fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. That means to know Jesus in his word and to not be distracted by the things that call out to distract you. This world is full of things trying to distract you. Satan is active trying to distract you with other things. Trying to draw your mind's attention and your heart's affection to something less. Don't let it happen. Don't give your best to your work. I mean, give, 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 give your work a full accounting. But don't give your heart and your soul to your work. Don't give it to your family. Your family's worthy of your time. Don't give it to your family because there's something better. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And all these other things, they'll be taken care of. I promise we taken care of. Second thing is this, if you're a believer today and your eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, then you need to start telling people to come with you. You bring them with you. Point people there. Don't be selfish. Don't look on Jesus and live and not tell anyone else to come with you. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Right? It's a song. Maybe you've sung it before. It's what we're supposed to be about. And as you walk to life, don't go to life alone. Take people with you. They need it. Nicodemus thought he had it all under control. Religious elite, knew everything, had all the wisdom of the world. And Jesus said, you're all wrong. Your religion won't save you. Only faith and the sun lifted up will bring salvation. Let's push people towards that sort of faith today. Let me pray.